Today I wanted to talk uh, on the topic of fasting, precisely because if we have to take one of those three things that the church exhorts us to do during Lent, that is prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, easily fasting is that thing which is the most mysterious to our culture, the least understood. I remember when I was in college, one of my friends told me that he'd gone previously to another college and told one of his uh, fellow schoolmates that he was giving up Pepsi for Lent. And the reaction he got was really remarkable. First they said, well, you know, you shouldn't give that up. That, that's what makes you happy. You like Pepsi. But they couldn't convince him to stop giving up Pepsi. So then they went and they got a philosophy major to come and reason with him, to show him that giving up what made him happy was a foolish thing to do. It is a mystery to our culture, because when we give up what makes us happy, it would seem that we should be sad. But in fact, we are pursuing, in a way, joy through fasting. Not that the giving up of something immediately makes you feel good. In fact, penance, the immediate effect of penance, is usually, on the human level, a kind of sorrow. If you see your favorite food sitting in front of you and you're not eating it, on the physical level, you're sad. So why? Why should we do that? Anything that is good in the spiritual life helps us to fulfill the basics of the spiritual life. The basics of the spiritual life are always the same. To love the Lord our God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. How does fasting help us to love? St. Thomas Aquinas was one of those men who was so brilliant he could be simple. And he said that the human heart is like silver, the precious metal silver. But if you take your heart and you love things of the world, those things which are below a human being, he says you mix the silver of your heart with tin. Tin is a cheap metal. It's not worth near as much as silver. And the more you love the things of the world, the more the silver is mixed in with the tin and becomes less and less and less valuable. But he says, if you love the things of God and God himself, you mix the silver of your heart with gold. And so your heart becomes more and more valuable, more pure, more rarefied. When we feast, we enjoy the good things of God. And it's not that that's a bad thing. We celebrate important days with feasting. But when we fast, we pull away from the things of the world. We give our bodies not what they want, but what they need. By fasting, you say no to a love that is lower than you. You say no to the tin so that you may have the gold. That's the point of fasting. There are different reasons people might fast. Some people will fast because it's good for their health. Some people fast because they just want to lose weight and look good. But fasting for God is a spiritual exercise. In fact, it's something we want to hide from other people. It's not something we want others to notice. 
If you fast so that others notice your fasting, as our Lord says, Amen, I say to you, you have already received your reward because what you wanted was attention and you got it. So we fast humbly. St. Paul says, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit lusts against the flesh. By lusting he means any strong desire. Our bodies, if we let them, will take over our, our spiritual lives and destroy them. But our souls, if we strengthen them, will control the body and subdue the body. And the spiritual life will be strong. Fasting humbles our flesh. It's one of those things that when a man has money and when a man has good health, he feels proud. He feels he can take care of himself. He doesn't feel he needs anybody else, and he doesn't feel that he needs God either. When you fast, your body feels weak, and you realize how very quickly the body, without food and water, would die. It reminds you that, in fact, one day you will die. And so fasting helps to keep you humble. Fasting is also a pleasing sacrifice to God to make up for sin. From the Old Testament, we have the story of the prophet Jonah, who, after running away, being swallowed by the whale after he was cast off the boat, finally went and did what God asked him to do. He showed up in the city of Nineveh and said, if they do not repent, there will be the destruction of God upon this city. Perhaps the most successful prophet ever in the history of the world, Jonah convinced even the king, and the king ordered everyone not only to fast, but to wear sackcloth, and he even forbade the animals to be fed. So all the people and all the beasts of the city fasted, and God's wrath was turned away, and the city was spared. Fasting also helps us with some, some other things, namely the two things in Lent, prayer and almsgiving, which the church also encourages. When you know what hunger feels like, it helps you to be generous to those who do not have food. Sometimes they have these teenage spiritual lockdowns and all these interesting things they do. You know, they get young people together and they make them go for hours and hours and hours with no food at all. And once they feel really hungry, they ask them if they're willing to give up some money for the poor. And they're always generous because they have sympathy for the hungry. They've never been hungry before and they finally found out hunger hurts. It's good for us to know that. We live in a world where it seems impossible to us, but every seven seconds, someone dies of hunger. And so it helps us to give alms to those who need it. Fasting also helps us to pray. St. Peter Christologus said it very well and very simply. Fasting is the soul of prayer. Fasting is the soul of prayer. How could it be that important? Was he overstating his case? He was not. The saints discovered that when you take away from the body everything that it wants, it quiets down. 
and it begins to let the soul finally come to the top. And the soul, when it's not being dominated by the body that's constantly getting what it wants, finally becomes strong. This is why the saints had such an aversion to indulging themselves. They didn't want to give their body any room to have power over their souls again because they had finally discovered spiritual freedom and spiritual strength and they weren't about to give it away. Fasting is the soul of prayer. St. Thomas Aquinas had a whole list of things, some of which I've already described, which he said fasting does for us. It cleanses the soul, raises the mind to God, subjects one's flesh to one's spirit, renders the heart contrite and humble, scatters the clouds of concupiscence, quenches the fires of lust, and kindles the true light of chastity. If it were some other saint, perhaps we wouldn't take it quite so seriously. But St. Thomas Aquinas was that man who understood the human body and the human soul through and through. He knew how they intermingled. There's a reason that even today Catholic psychologists look to Thomas Aquinas for guidance in their field. If Aquinas says, fasting does all those things, I believe him. Having said all of that, it is important to remember that fasting is not an end in itself. We do not fast just to fast. We do not fast to say that I fast. But we fast for Christ. And there is such a thing as overdoing it. And there is such a thing as exceeding our limits. And our limits may be small. For example, if you fast and it makes you grouchy, you've gone too far. Because charity is more important than fasting. As the epistle said today, if you do not have charity, you do not have anything. And some people, once they get past a certain point without food, become, you know, a little difficult to be in the same room with. And if you're one of those people, you have to acknowledge your weakness and live according to your weakness. And then there are those who simply, because of the way they are, age, infirmity, or whatever, can't do without not very much. They might be able to give up sweet things, but fasting in the strict sense is not something for them to do. And I don't refer just to women who are expecting or something like that, but we all have to know what we are capable of doing. And we have to admit that we come from a spoiled generation. If we tried to fast as Christians did at one time, how many of us would make it one day? In case you're wondering why I said that, I'll tell you how the Christians used to fast during Lent, so you know. They ate one time a day, one time. So they went until evening without eating at all, and when they ate, there were only four things they allowed themselves. Think about eating this every day during Lent. Bread, herbs, salt, you're probably hoping that the fourth thing's really good, right? Water. 
as I said, we're a weak generation. I'm not advising anyone to try it. At the same time, it means because we are a weak generation, doing not so much can mean a great deal. It can be a great penance to do what for them would have been almost self-indulgent. Some people have already been asking me, what do you think I should do for Lent? I can't answer the question 400 times, so I'll say it from the pulpit. Start small and be faithful to it. If after two or three weeks you found that you can do it well without being a grouch, you may add something more and be faithful to that. That will make a good Lent. A bad Lent starts out with lots of vim and vigor and four days later it's just about as faithfully kept as all of our New Year's resolutions. You know. Lent, if we see what it is for real, is a time of preparation. What are we getting ready for? Easter. Easter is the most important feast of the year when we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. But you can't celebrate the resurrection of Christ well if you don't open your heart. You open your heart by giving up the things you love that makes room for God. That's the point of the prayer, the penance, the almsgiving. And we welcome him in. If we get to those two weeks before Lent and we find ourselves ready for that Passion Tide, we will have a very good Easter. At this point, we're getting ready, opening ourselves, being generous with God, preparing to celebrate the Feast of Easter. But we get to Easter through Holy Week. So we're looking forward, first of all, to the time of our Lord's Passion, to his arrest, to the scourging, to his being taken by the authorities, to him allowing himself to be arrested and to be tortured, basically, for us, and finally dying at the hands of the government. All of those things we want to live through with him with pure souls. Lent prepares us for that.